We know your presence is here. We've told you that you're welcome here. And uh, we're going to invite you even in parts of our lives where we sometimes don't want to welcome you. And even the parts of our hearts maybe we're not even aware of, parts we're just blind to. And uh, the closets in our hearts that just have been locked so long, we even forget are there. So if you need to uh, jiggle some of those doorknobs, Jesus, and uh, ask us for the keys of those rooms, uh, would you go ahead and do that? And would you give us then the trust in you uh, to let you go into that part of our hearts? And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, I want to talk about, uh, given this time of year and the time of the cycle of the U.S. election, talk about a difficult uh, decision, two very different candidates, and a decision that could change the course of history. One candidate is uh, very pro-government. One candidate is all about taxes. One candidate is viewed as, by some as unpatriotic. One candidate is deeply distrusted by the religious right and viewed with contempt by some of the religious right. The other candidate is anti-government, wants less government, wants less taxes, viewed as a patriot and embraced by the religious right and viewed with contempt by progressives as, somewhat, as somehow dangerous and naive. So there's two very different candidates and a very difficult decision that could change the course of history. And who am I talking about, of course? Um, no, wait, that's not right. That's not who I was talking about. Go to the next slide. Here's what I'm talking about, all right? Jesus had to choose 12 disciples. Simon the Zealot, he was a zealot because he was an arch-conservative politically. All right? He was an arch-conservative politically. He hated the Roman government. He hated the paying of taxes to the Roman government. He opposed the paying of taxes to the government. He was a conservative and it was all for kind of revolutionizing things. He was on one end of the political spectrum. Matthew, a tax collector, on the other end of the political spectrum. He cooperated with Rome. He collected their taxes. He was more into, let's figure out how to make this work. Two opposite ends of the spectrum politically. And Jesus had some decisions to make about disciples, and he chose them. All right, go back to the slide for a second. This is not the decision that we ultimately need to face with our lives. I mean, yeah, we had that decision. We're going to vote, and some of us are going to vote in a month. And uh, I'm sure some of you thought maybe that's what I was talking about. In a lot of ways, uh, it's good to talk about how are we supposed to view this whole thing. And we're going to look at that in the context of even Revelation. But go back here for a second. Because, go to the next slide. Because what's amazing is that these two men from vastly, vastly, vastly different political perspectives were able to lay those aside because they saw a whole greater calling in their life. Now, I'm imagining that Simon and Matthew are on the road every once in a while that Jesus might have gotten to their little tiffs about things. And I'm sure at times Jesus forced them to room together just to kind of work it out. I don't know. <laughs> Who knows? But they would have hated one another politically. But yet they realized that's what, not what we want to give our lives to. Now, did they drop their political points of view? Probably not. We don't know. They just came so lesser of importance because of something greater. So Jesus offered them a whole different option, not in the middle of the road, but on a whole different plane. It's kind of like when I, 
It's like when somebody says, you know, Jesus is the answer black or white. Jesus, Jesus often answers by saying 7.2. It's like, wait, 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 you didn't answer on the right spectrum. I know, it's a whole different world I'm talking about. I'm talking about a different mindset. And what's interesting in the, in the context of, uh, you know, election year and things like that is the child, how, do, how are we supposed to think about all this? And no, we're not going to tell you how to vote. No, we're not going to, because there, there are some here this morning that have a great dislike for the current president, and others here have a great dislike for our current governor. Everybody here probably falls in, or not a great dislike, but you know, there's, we all have our issues. We all have concerns about people. But how do, we, how do we think about that as followers of Jesus? Because Jesus seemed to kind of transcend all of that. Doesn't mean politics don't matter. We're citizens in this country. We're supposed to think about that and be engaged. But how are we to be engaged? And what's the context? And what's the balance? Not just balance, perspective. Because these two men ended up giving their lives because they loved Jesus. They didn't get their life for the political cause anymore. They probably dropped those behind. What we've been talking about the last few weeks, and this is kind of, we've been talking about the book of Revelation. And I'm going to tie this in. We're not going to look at a particular church in Revelation today, but Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ, is, the book of Revelation is all about Jesus, helping us understand a bigger picture of Jesus. Now, you should have gotten on your chair one of these things, one of these yellow cards. I told you I'd get these, and it's been a few weeks. In, in, stick this on your refrigerator, on your dorm room table, on your car dashboard or whatever, and this is what I've been encouraging everybody to pray at least once a day for themselves and others friends, enemies, whoever you need to pray for. And I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not joking when I say praying for enemies. Uh, and those are the two verses that I'm encouraging you uh, to memorize. Maybe, maybe just read once a day, but if you read once a day between now and the 11th of November or what, a month from now, whatever, you'll probably get the sense of it memorized in terms of uh, asking Jesus to reveal himself to you. And what we've been talking about, go to the next one now, in the book of Revelation, and we're coming back to the decision here in politics and all that, we've been talking about the seven churches that John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he wrote it about 60-ish some years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was a disciple of, John, of Jesus. John would have been good friends, by the way, with both Matthew and Simon. Maybe he, maybe he kind of intervened in their arguments. I don't know. Um, and John, John is writing to these seven churches. And we've, we've talked last week about Smyrna, two weeks ago about Ephesus, Next week, we're going to do Pergamum and Thyatira together. But today, I want to talk about kind of the general theme and some general thoughts about this, what John is saying, and how that relates to our current reality as American citizens, those of us who are American citizens. But what was happening in this time of history? Go to the next slide. These are the different uh, rulers of the Roman government that would have been in governmental political power over those churches in that region, modern-day Turkey. Nero, uh, Vespasian, Titus, Domitian. We don't know exactly. We think John was, we think Revelation was written in the time of Domitian. Some people think it was written earlier, but it, it, regardless, there was some governmental authority who was in charge, and uh, those Christians in those churches, Smyrna, Ephesus, Cyrus, they had to live under that government realm and the government was not pro-Christian. In those cases, it was very anti-Christian in some fashion. Other cities, it wasn't so bad. It was just different. Even the different cities varied. But what's interesting when you notice what John writes to these churches, and, and for that matter, in the whole New Testament, there's not a whole lot of calling people to political action. Again, I'm not, please hear me. I'm not saying we shouldn't vote. I'm not saying politics don't matter. 
Jesus told us to pay taxes to Caesar. Um, give to Caesar what Caesar's give to God what's God. But they were in vastly more animosity kind of political situations. But it was, never, it was never addressed by Jesus. And John never told these churches anything politically to do. Because he realized, as I want us to realize, is the world's not going to change through politics. It's going to change through the power of Jesus and the power of the people of Jesus obeying what Jesus asked us to do. All right? So let me, let me go through a few things. Uh, just three, I'm going to say three, three major things I want to say, and then I'm going to connect this more to, to the book of Revelation. First thing is this. These are questions I think that if John were here, he might ask American Christians. All right? First question is, why all the contempt? All right? You listen to TV shows, talk shows, radio shows, whatever, on either side of the spectrum, and you have Christians on either side that show contempt for the other side. Contempt, you've seen my, maybe you haven't seen my road sign. I want to pull it out. I love this sign, all right? Because the whole way of Jesus is no contempt, all right? It's not con- I did this once. And somebody, said, somebody said they went home and their daughter said, we're supposed to be content. No, not content, contempt, all right? And contempt is that emotion you feel and that sense you feel towards someone that you just kind of, and you raise your eyebrows or you mock them. It's that, and we're to live, the whole way of Jesus is living life without contempt toward Leaders, politicians, towards spouses, towards sons, daughters, moms, and dads, all right? But you see in our culture today a lot of contempt that Christians show toward politicians on either side of the spectrum. And that would, that flies directly in the face of Scripture because we're called to honor those in leadership over us. We're supposed to pray for those in leadership, honor the king, Peter tells people. Now, you stop at that for a second, and in some degree that might be, it's easy for us in some sense, but what if you're Christian in Nazi Germany? If this was 1938 and we were in Nazi Germany, should we be like praying for Hitler? I mean, should we be honoring Hitler? What is it? So it's always, it's always good to think about when you think about some of these, how, does, how should we relate to government? Throw yourself in another culture or another political situation around the world or out history, and it forces you to read the scripture a little more honestly when it comes to honor the king or pray for those in authority over you. And honoring is directly opposed to contempt. Now, I'm not saying you don't have a point of view. Some of you don't, I'm sure there's certain politicians you would rather not be in office, and there's certain politicians you have strong feelings about. But to have contemptuous, mocking feelings about is anything but the spirit of Jesus. As a matter of fact, years ago, we, but Kathy and I were getting this one particular Christian magazine, and on the front of the magazine, one issue, they had a picture of a prominent politician with a long Pinocchio nose. They were calling them a liar. We canceled the, and I did not vote for that politician. We canceled the magazine because I thought, I'd, that is mocking of a president. It was a president, actually. It was Clinton, for that matter. I didn't vote for Clinton. I'll kind of show my cards on that one. But I, we canceled the magazine because I thought, you know, that's, that's dishonoring to the president. It's dishonoring to that leader. And again, like I said, you kind of throw yourselves into communist China today or Hitler's Germany years ago, and it forced you to kind of wrestle with that a little bit. But there's no place for contempt of anybody in authority over you. Disagreement, yes. Strong disagreement, yes. Fight to get them out of office, yes. Dietrich Bonhoeffer lost his life as a pastor because he was part of the attempt to kill Hitler. All right? So there's, there's and I'm not advocating assassination. Please don't. No, don't go, oh, Pastor, talk about assassination today. No contempt, but assassination. That's great, okay? I'm not saying that. 
Uh, I have to think about that for a second. But, uh, but contempt is not, there's not a place for that among the people of Jesus. Because if, if we show contempt, it shows we're putting a little bit too much energy and hope into that part of our lives. All right? Disagreement, yes. Intense discourse, yes. All right? Next thing. Question is, where's your allegiance? Where do we place our allegiance? Everybody stand up with me. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Right hand over your heart, face the flag. First line to the Pledge of Allegiance, all right? Here we go. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. All right, sit down. What does that mean when we do that? And should we, what, there are some parts of Christendom that would say you shouldn't do that. The national anthem, when it's played, we all stand put our hand over our heart. What, do we, what does this mean? Does that mean that I'm giving my ultimate loyalty, ultimate the loyalty to the values of the American country and the Constitution? I mean, th- this is me. Every time I do that, I'm always kind of thinking, should I? I don't know. I mean, that's not really my, my I'm not a, I can't pledge my allegiance. As a citizen, yeah, in one world, yes, but not in, you know, I have a, where is it? I have an American passport. This is actually an old one, though. I didn't want to bring my, didn't want to bring my current one because I'd lose it. Um, American passport. And, you know, t- to become an American citizen, which I'm a natural citizen. Some of you aren't. Some of you aren't citizens, but will be. But you have to pledge your a loyalty and allegiance to the U.S. Constitution, to the American, uh, and, and to the United States of America. And you have to uh, kind of reject any other allegiance you've had before. So again, the question comes, okay, where's my allegiance when it comes to, okay, trusting Jesus? Am I an American who trusts Jesus? Am I a Christian who happens to be an American? And at what point, how do I, which comes front, back, you know? And, uh, and I'm, not, I'm not asking you, please don't tell people, oh, the pastor's enough, put your hand over your heart when you pledge allegiance. I didn't say that. But I do want you to think about what you're saying when you pledge allegiance to the flag or stand for the national anthem. I get chills too when I stand for the national anthem. I vote. I think we should vote. I'm glad I was born in America. I'm proud to be an American. But my allegiance does not rest in the American ideal. Um, and I think when you look at the New Testament, you look even what John was saying to these churches, he was not addressing at all their political realities. Persecution, yeah, but not... Not in terms of other issues. Our allegiance is to Jesus. And I know even there's, there's, a, there's a pledge of allegiance to a Christian flag. You know, I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag. Um, you know, yada, yada, something. Uh, but even then, it's like, you know, but I'm, my allegiance is to Jesus. That's your, and that's my, he, he's our leader. He's our Lord. We, we follow him. And we don't pledge our allegiance to ideals, whether democratic or even American church ideals. That's not where our allegiance is. Our allegiance is to Jesus who describes, who's revealed to us the book of Revelation as the one who's rider on a white horse, a sword coming from his mouth, the first and the last, risen from the dead. That's where, I'm, that's where my allegiance is. Regardless if I have an American passport, a German passport in 1940, a Chinese passport, or whatever passport you have or ever would have or anybody who's followed Christ has had, it's irrelevant what passport you have. That's simply the assignment God's given you in this world. Because we are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which doesn't mean after we die, but we are, our job is to bring the values, if I can use that word, the values and the life of the kingdom of God into this world, which means things like forgiveness and reconciliation and goodness and integrity and truth. 
not necessarily political loyalties and not my economic security. That, that's not one of the values of the kingdom of heaven. It's security because God will take care of me in spite of anything in my life financially. But my security rests in Jesus alone. Now, so that's, so the, the last, the third question I think John would ask is, where's your hope? Now, um, go to the next slide there, Chip. You've seen these. Uh, change was part of the Obama campaign in uh, 08. I'm not sure if it is now or not. I haven't seen that. I don't know. And then had enough is the street sign you'll see in Bloomington. Had enough, vote Republican. But here's my question. What, what, what is your hope for change? And here, let me ask you this way. Imagine this. Imagine that the president you want to be elected is elected. And not only that, imagine every senator you want to be elected is elected. Every congressman, every governor, every state senator, every mayor, every school board member, anybody that you think should be in elected office gets there. All right? Imagine that first. Now imagine every law that you think ought to be passed and every school board policy ought to be adapted is done for you. Everything. So everything in the political world is as it ought to be, according to you. Would you then be the person, the man or woman that you know you ought to be? Does that really make you into the person that you know you want to be fully alive? Does that make you into free and strong and a passionate individual who is kind to those who persecute you, who is full of love and selfless, self, selfless love for your spouse? Does that make you a forgiving person? Does that make you somebody who is patient and full of generosity? If everything in your political mindset went as you want it to be, would that make you the kind of person that Jesus wants you to be? I'll even add, let's, make even, let's even do more. What if everybody in your life did what you thought they ought to be doing? If your children always obeyed you, if your spouse did everything that you've always wanted a spouse to do for you, every level of fulfillment, what if your neighbor cut their grass like you think they should and quit throwing it on your side of the lawn? What if your roommate would throw their dirty clothes in their laundry basket and not on your bed? What if your professor would actually give fair tests and not, what if your employer would pay you what you think you're worth? What if your house was given to you? What if your cars were given to you and nobody ever, and, and you know, whether it's a 19, whatever, Ford Mustang, 60, whatever, 70, whatever, and it never, and what if you never had car trouble? What if all of life cooperated with you? Would you then be the person that you know you ought to be? Of course not. You might have some momentary happiness and not paying bills and everybody kind of catering. I mean, essentially what you're asking for, or what I'm asking for, is I want all life to be a movie and all about me. I'm, like, I'm the star, right? No, but the whole book of Revelation, the whole thing what John's saying is, no, Jesus is the preeminent one. We do life according to how Jesus wants life done. And even if everything in life cooperated with my agenda... That's not going to make me more forgiving toward my wife. That's not going to make me more compassionate toward somebody who is struggling financially when God may be asking me to give of my income to help that person out. The right people in office, all those things, is not going to change my heart. And what's interesting about when John writes to the Christians in these cities of Asia, 
and he's writing and he's writing what Jesus told him to write. Um, he's challenging issues of the heart. And he used words like uh, over and over, Jesus uses the word repent. Repent, change, that, that's a change right here. Jesus isn't advocating activism. And again, I'm not saying there are some who are, I believe, are called into public, in the public arena, political service. And I think sometimes it's, it's appropriate to have passion about certain candidates that you see, want to see in government roles. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying it's wrong to be passionate. If you have a yard sign in your yard for a certain candidate, there's nothing wrong with that. But if, that is, if, that's, where you, if that's where your hope ends, and if you think if only this would happen... Um, then my life will be what I want it to be. Well, no, it won't. You know that. I mean, I get excited. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll be up till one o'clock in the morning on election night this year. And I'll have a range of emotions. Oh, yes. Oh, no. Oh, yes. Oh, no. What I, and then I have to check myself. Okay, this is kind of fun. Because for me, it's kind of fun. I like watching it. You know, it's kind of fun. I like turning on radio TV shows that ir- irk me one way or the other. I don't know why I like that, but I like it. Um, <laughs> And, and, but, and, I, and I have strong opinions. And when I pull the lever and I vote for whatever, I'll have, I'll have clear opinions about what I w- want to see happen. But do I think that's exactly what... It, it, would Jesus vote the way I vote? I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if Jesus cares. He does care. Because here's the point. If the, if the people in this room, if every one of us took to heart what John is saying like the churches in Revelation and we, we died to our idolatries we died to sexual idolatries which we'll talk about next week because John talks about Jesus, Jesus addresses two churches about sexual morality we die to those things we die to sin in our life we learn to love each other deeply we do and hear and respond whoever has ears to hear let him hear we hear and do whatever Jesus asks us to do if just the people in this room did that including myself the culture of Bloomington, Indiana would change regardless of who the mayor is if, the Amer- if, if cre- anybody in the United States who would call themselves a Christian would begin to follow the way of Jesus in terms of forgiveness generosity to the poor obedience to God I- integrity moral integrity, spiritual integrity, not for the sake of getting in line, but for the sake of opening ourselves up to the voice of God. Whoever the president is couldn't stop the force of the Holy Spirit in, in, in this country. He couldn't. So to some degree, if, you have, if you're intense about politics, be equally intense about what God wants for this church. Because what John's saying to these churches is, if you guys can kind of figure this out and you listen to what Jesus is saying to you, you're doing a lot of things well, but you're, you're tolerating this, you're putting up with this, you've got to stop doing this. It, it, it's the integrity of the church that Jesus cares about. And again, if, if, I, if I was everything I was meant to be in terms of my life with Jesus... My marriage would be better, my family would be better, my church would be better, my community would be better. But it starts with me. I mean, Scripture says judgment begins with the house of God. It doesn't begin with government. Judgment doesn't begin with them, the other person, or your spouse, or your, whoever else has given you a hard time in life. Judgment begins with you. And it's not judgment like heavy, oppressive judgment, like, oh, this. It's, it's judgment to set us. Jesus wants to say, I'm going to set you free of some of this stuff. And when you read these, I'm amazed every time I read through some of these churches of Revelation that Jesus is talking to. Jesus uses, he does not use soft language. 
I mean, he's like calling people liars, saying I'm going to come a fight against these people. Jesus is a powerful, aggressive person as part of the Godhead. He, he is not, he is relentless, but he is relentless in his compassion for you and me to be what God, what he wants us to be, and that is fully alive and free. And whether you live in the United States of America, whether you live in communist China, whether you live in Nazi Germany, whether you live in any part of the world today, that's what the concern of Jesus is. I mean, it's amazing when you hear about Christians in uh, other parts of the world, especially oppressed and persecuted parts of the world, they do read the Bible different than we do, and they might read it more accurately than we do. Because we read it through the lens of the American mindset and the American political system and life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, which I'm getting, not saying those aren't good. What I'm saying is it seems like there's a vibrancy in churches where they've realized their hope is not in the political system. It never will be. Uh, one of my neighbors once a few years ago <laughs> At that time, he wasn't even an American citizen, but he had all kinds of election signs in his yard. He was a very kind of animated person when we talked in my driveway. You know, he had a foreign accent. You know, that kind of thing. And he said, and he's going off about, in his case, he's going off about uh, how he thinks one of our former presidents was messing up world peace and was going to destroy the world. And then he stopped and he goes, okay, who did you vote for? He asked me that. And I said, you know, I voted. And I didn't vote for the candidate you wished I would have voted for. But can I tell you this? I, I told him, I said, my hope for world peace, my hope for life to be as it ought to be in, in my community, in my country, and in this world, doesn't rest in anybody named Bush, Obama, Kerry, Romney, Kennedy, whatever. My hope for world peace rests in a guy named Jesus who will set people free once they let him and will change marriages and families and communities and countries and cultures if, as John calls him in the book of Revelation, the ruler of the kings of the earth actually has his way. And Jesus has his way when people like us let him have his way in us. Jesus does his ruling of the earth through us. And that's our hope for world peace. Yeah, yeah, I get concerned when I watch the news too and I get concerned about issues. But our hope for world peace, it's, it's about where you place your hope. Idolatry is misplaced hopes. And I have been, and so have all of us in some fashion, been guilty of the idolatry of the political world. Or sometimes our idolatry of the financial world. We have, because we put our hope for our own livelihood in that. I'm going to finish with reading from uh, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 42, again, which every Jew, every Christian in these seven churches of Asia would have known, and they would have known clearly it was talking about Jesus and not about Caesar, Domitian, Titus, Obama, or Romney. They knew that. But let, let me read about where the hope of Scripture is and where every person in those days and our days knows, all right? Look at my servant whom I strengthen. He is my chosen one who pleases me. I have, my, I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. 
He will not falter or lose heart until justice prevails throughout the earth. Even distant lands beyond the sea will wait for his instruction. They're not talking about any politician you or I know. They're talking about Jesus. And then later on, the prophet Isaiah is talking about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord, sovereign Lord is on me. And he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He's anointed me to proclaim freedom to the captives. And those who are oppressed, those who are burdened down by sin and oppression, I will set them free. That's what you and I need. That's what I, I need that kind of Savior. I, I don't know how many of you, many of you are probably familiar with uh, the musical uh, Les Mis. Right, Les Mis? All right. Do we, uh, yeah, you know. Um, but there's, you know, and, and the main character in that musical is a guy named Jean Valjean. And in a sense, he has a kind of a messianic quality to him because he brings hope and goodness in the midst of despair. And he's a strong kind of a character, really in a Christ figure kind of way. And the music of that musical is pretty powerful music. You know, do you hear the people sing, singing the song of Anger Man? Uh, it is a music of a people who will not be slaves again. Anyway, I bought one of these, uh, you know, anniversary kind of concert DVDs that had uh, this, I think it was a New York Philharmonic or London Philharmonic, some kind of Philharmonic orchestra and choir singing all these anthem songs in a way that you kind of, you know, just it's, it's the way they should be sung. Right. And at the very end, this is all on DVD, at the very end of this performance, they were singing one of the, you know, the primary anthems. Da da bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum And it's kind of this it's 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 an anthem that sounds like a king ought to be processing into. And while they're singing it, and this is a big concert hall, they have all these famous actors who had played Jean Valjean, and they are all kind of walking down the aisle, you know, from Japan, from Korea, from London, all these ones who are the best of. And they're all kind of progressing down in their tuxes and coming to the main front, and the crowd is going wild. And they're going wild. I, I was watching this on my computer in the back row of a plane flying somewhere. And it just hit me. I started crying, and I, I thought to myself, and I thought, and people around me, I'm, no, I'm, not, I'm not upset. I'm just watching this video of these guys singing, and I'm crying. They're playing. Okay. <laughs> you know what I thought? You know what, you know what, you know what these people are, they're, you know who they're applauding for? They are applauding for Jesus. They just don't know it. They are applauding for the one who will come and make wrong right again. They are applauding for the one that we see in the story of Jean Valjean, which is a great story. They are, they are applauding for somebody who's going to show mercy and forgiveness and goodness and bring hope and truth and integrity back to the world again. They weren't applauding for these individual guys who were just singers and happened to have great voices. But the audience didn't know they were applauding for Jesus. And that's what we look for. We look, Jesus, will you take your place? Will you take your place on the throne of Bloomington, Indiana? I mean, next week, it's interesting, the, the church of uh, Pergamum. Jesus actually says, you live in, you, those of you who live in Pergamon, I know Satan has his throne there. Pretty strong language. But we believe that Jesus can have his throne in whatever sound we live in, in whatever neighborhood we live in. And if Jesus has his way, our marriages become fully alive. How we treat those who've hurt us become full of forgiveness and mercy. How we treat the poor and the disenfranchised is out of generosity. When Jesus has his throne, and that's the kind of people we want to be, and that's the kind of people Jesus wants to be. And so vote with passion, but worship Jesus with a whole lot greater passion. All right, let's pray.
Jesus, uh, we believe that you've put us in this particular situation of life in this country, in this political system. You, we, you've put us here. For some reason, you've chosen each one of us to be living in this time, in this place, in this political reality, facing this election. And we believe you can give each of us wisdom and insight and even direction about how you want us to exercise that freedom. Because we are to be good citizens, we to pay taxes, and in some degree we're, we're to be citizens by our involvement in the political process. But Jesus, we do, we repent to you of the way in which we've placed our hope in things that we think will change the world. Not that there's not a hope of the small age, but we've placed our capital H hope in some of those things. And some of those people and some of those politicians and some of those laws that we want passed or school boards we want to see changed or whatever it is. But Jesus, we, we want you to know that uh, we believe what John has said about you and that is you are the king of the rulers of the earth. There's no one like you. And uh, would you, even as we prayed earlier in the service, if there's things in our own lives, which we know there always are going to be, that you need us to surrender and be devoted to you more in, then you will have a greater effect on this world than any president that's elected through one or two people or 300 like her in this room who actually do what you ask us to do. You'll have a greater impact on this whole country by 300 people who do what you ask us to do in terms of what you want to impact people for, in terms of helping them see that the life with God is possible for them. So give us that courage to listen to what you say to us. Give us greater courage and grace and joy and freedom to do what you ask us to do. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We finish every Sunday with communion, and we do it... Uh, what I tell people is, you know, that... The apex of what we do on Sunday is not singing or not preaching, it's communion. Not because we glorify in some ritual, but because of what the ritual represents is Jesus, when he, night before his betrayed, gave his, served the bread and the wine as part of the religious supper of the Passover feast. And he said, this is my body uh, given for you. This is my blood shed for you. And remember me, he said. And what he meant is for remember is remember